You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business Unusual. Welcome to this week's episode of uh, Topco's Business Unusual podcast. And today we have the uh, CEO of GE South Africa, Southern Africa, Nyumpini Mabunda. I hope I got that right, Nyumpini. You did, you did, Ralph. Thank you. <laughs> I told you I've been practicing all day. So um, there you have it. So, so how are things going? I know that you're, you're out and about. Indeed, indeed. Um, I'm actually in KZN at the moment. Uh, it's cool holidays. Um, I've got uh, two boys and they went on holiday on Friday. So we arrived on Monday. Interesting choice of location after the unrest. So you, you can say I'm here on an inspection visit. Uh, I'm not from here, but I love holiday in, in the coast here and Cape Town. So, so far, so good. And uh, I haven't seen that much damage, except in Peter Marisberg when I was driving in. There's a shopping center there that has been burned down, but uh, it looks like life is returning to normal. It's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, you said you lived in Cape Town for a good 10 years as well. So, yes, yes, I did. Uh, I, I think in the past, the spirits and the liquor industry was traditionally located in Cape Town with the wine and brandy and so on. So I worked for uh, what is now called Diageo. It used to be called Gilby's and Guinea CDV at the time. And uh, we're based in Stellenbosch. Then we moved to Tiger Valley. So yeah, I spent a good uh, six years living in Cape Town, working, but I also studied in Cape Town at UCT for four years. So in totality, I've spent 10 years of my life in the beautiful Cape Town. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, I told you, we miss you still. So um, we want to see you back. I miss you too. I'll be back. I'll be back indeed. I love Cape Town. Yeah, I think there's a lot happening here. I mean, um, I think there's a lot of energy with startups and sort of the, the whole tech incubator yep. theme happening here. So in, indeed. I look forward to also the tourism industry uh, making its way back. I mean, Cape Town is quite important. In fact, recently, uh, Ralph, I had an, an investment forum with uh, Premier Winde and his team. Um, uh, in one of my other capacities, I, I chair the US South Africa Business Council, which is a division of um, US Chamber of Commerce based in Washington. So we've been having a series of conversations with premiers um, of provinces uh, to talk about the investment case for investing in, 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 they had to sell their province to, to us. So I had a couple of US investors on the call and it was a good session. And, and it was, it just reminded me, we had the CEO of West Grove joining and uh, the finance minister as well. It just reminded me of um, uh, why Cape Town is such a compelling investment destination as well, not just the wine industry and, um, and, um, and, 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 and the tourism industry, but there's a lot going. So yeah, 
I mean, Cape Town, but South Africa in general, we have a lot going for us as a country. Even though the last few weeks uh, we haven't done that story justice, um, I hope we're picking up the pieces and uh, and moving on. And they say uh, an entrepreneur always thrives in um, chaos. You know, they see the opportunities. They're optimists, right? <laughs> We look at problems and we'll see solutions. But I mean, I think you're right. I think that what, what interests me is that you are working with the US government is that I think the amount of opportunities coming from tech and startups and investment, and we know that you're also private equity, you've got some involvement there. And yeah. so there seems to be this big um, flow towards tech. And, you know, you work with Vodacom <clears throat> as well in terms of the digital transformation um, yeah. Now with GE, you're almost in there as well. You're, you know, you're on the on the solution side of the technology. Um, I mean, do you get a sense that the Biden administration is more up for doing business with Africa and South Africa? Because it did seem that the Trump administration sort of moved a little bit, had insulated itself to a large degree and wasn't looking as globally. Yes. No, no, the answer is an affirmative yes, uh, and it's not just a perception. Uh, we advocate for investment in Africa because U- 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 U.S. South Africa Business Council is part of U.S. Africa Business Council, yeah. and um, our role is to influence policy or advocate for investment in Africa. Um, and uh, what we, we've, we've, we've published um, a, a paper uh, to the, which was presented to the Biden administration to say, we need to go back um, to the US-Africa relations that used to be back in the Al Gore-Clinton uh, um, days, um, um, you know, and, 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 and of course, to your point, um, that has been muted in the last few years, but, we, but Africa remains a very strong investment case. And the good news is, um, they, they, those, those words have been well received um, and um, there's all indications that the U.S.-Africa relationship is turning under the Biden administration. They certainly see a lot more opportunity. And even if you look at the reaction and the support that we're getting in the pandemic and also, I mean, yeah, we, we got the 5 million, 5.6 million doses in South Africa uh, two huh. weeks ago but a lot more went into other markets as well. But not just that, it's not just about aid. There's a lot of opportunities, particularly that US firms are seeing, particularly around the Africa Free Trade Zone. And the yeah. beauty about the Africa Free Trade Zone is that even though it's Africa for Africa, within Africa, there's opportunities to partner uh, with foreign companies. So it's not just about coming in and yep. be the one supplying all these goods and services. You've got to partner with African companies. So they see a lot of opportunities on that. We've had our US-Africa conference. Uh, members of the Biden administration were there, very active and looking for opportunities. So touch wood, uh, but I, 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 see, I, see, I see a great engagement and partnership for sure. Sure, great. I, I think one of the things that I, I didn't realize, but the tech industry in South Africa is probably the same size as in Israel. And they say that the Israel size of market is actually 10 times bigger than South Africa. And the main reason is because of the interest they have in U.S. companies solving U.S. problems from Israel. And so I often think, how do we as South Africa tap into that U.S. market? So having a pro-African sort of administration creates opportunities 
number one, so that we can start, you know, exporting our services. That was the one thing. I suppose yeah. the other thing that really sort of I caught an eye on is the, is the values of companies from Israel and how highly they're valued. Yeah. The companies compared to most of our tech companies. I was wondering why there's not more VC and private equity money in our tech scenario. And, and actually on a podcast I did with Louis Bayes, um, he was saying to me, for him, one of the reasons was because we're solving South Africa problems with our technology, not necessarily global problems. And that comes into that valuation. But that is true. I mean, because if you look at us as a market, uh, you know, compared to having a global mindset in the solutions yeah. that you have, then yeah. then your valuation, you know, especially how technology companies are valued, even when they're making losses, it's about your future 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 potential, right? Yeah. And that talks to the size of the market, what what you can be. So so for sure, and 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 the beauty about technology is that a lot of these solutions um, are not limited to one country if you, if you apply yourself uh, uh, nicely. I mean, look at what Netflix has done as an example, um, you know, and, 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 and therefore you rapidly gain scale because it is about uh, 10x, right? And I think these days it's not even 10x, it's 100x, <laughs> you know? So scale, scale, scale. And, and you're not going to scale if you're limiting it to, to one country. And I think... The challenge for South African companies um, is, 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 even now with the Africa Free Trade Zone, is to think more and more about the continent and beyond. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's nothing that we want in South Africa that the rest of the, the, the continent or the rest of the world don't want. So, 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 so we need to network, we need to partner, we need to travel, excuse me, we need to do the research and understand what are those... Um, uh, 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 tension points and frictions that are yeah. existing around. I've seen an app um, uh, late uh, recently. Uh, I forgot the name of the business that was uh, Naspas has invested into the the foundry, Naspas foundry, and it's yeah. about public transport. I can't saw that. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's about the public transport, and 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 yeah. and I was like, wow, this is great because why? Everywhere in the world you go, there's public transport. <laughs> you know, there's a taxi, there's a bus, there's a train, there's something. And, and, and this app is, is about telling you when is the next public transport coming? How far is it? Where is it? Anywhere in the world you go. Beautiful. Yeah. We, and, and it's from SA. We need to think more and more like that. I think it's intimidating to think international overseas dollar-based income. And you think, what am I going to come up with sitting in uh, Stellenbosch that, that people in Silicon Valley hasn't thought about? But you know what? You can come up with something because sitting in Stellenbosch, you're thinking very different to the people who are in Silicon Valley. And in that lies the magic. In that lies the magic. It's funny because I was doing some strategy stuff the other day and they talked about shared value. And it was yeah. funny because they actually talked around how um, if you solve social issues, you get the insight into actually a lot of innovation. And it made me think of so many companies in South Africa like Capitec, Mm. who have almost solved a lot of big social issues um, in that very way. And now they've got big market share from, from you know, um, scaling access to banking, for instance. Absolutely. But, but, I mean, you've been on the continent and you've lived in the continent and you've worked in the continent. You worked for Diageo in Uganda. Um, are you seeing lots of opportunities for South African businesses 
to explore that? What are you what are you seeing as their limitations or they're stopping them from doing that? Is it the networks that you mentioned? Or is it is it the I, I don't know, maybe you term it being a maverick like you and, and getting out of your comfort zone and doing something crazy? Yeah, you know, my my experience. And not only have I lived in Uganda for three, four years, um, I traveled extensively um, into West Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, Gabon, Cameroon, uh, all of those markets, and then the rest of East Africa, including um, Tanzania, Rwanda, Sudan, and, and all of that. I, I love the continent. I spent seven years um, in pool, moving around the, the, the continent. And I think the mistake we make um, uh, you know, as South African firms going into, into the continent is not to localize enough. It is to go in there with uh, things that have made us successful in South Africa and we try and cut and paste into those markets. So localize enough to an extent that you would go to um, uh, Kenya, for example, and you find a South African firm and, 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 and they don't have Kenyans in their executive team, you know, and, and you get in there and, 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 and same as Uganda, you know, and, and Nigeria and so on. Now, while, while we have the IP, we have something that we've made successful in South Africa. By the time it gets to Nigeria, it cannot be 100% as it was in South Africa. And therefore, teaming up with a local partner um, or, or, or hiring some of the locals into that team and blending your best practice with uh, local insights um, I think makes it work much, much better because there are differences, um, for sure. There are differences. And, and I found that that hasn't happened um, 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 enough. And I think particularly around distribution, collection of money, and, um, and, and finding the right talent to take it forward. Because if you don't do that, even your cost of doing business end up being high. Because, I mean, you, you, you run a small business that hasn't yet scaled but it's full of expatriates, mm. you know, with all the expat benefits, you just cannot, cannot um, uh, uh, um, afford that. So I think that is, that is and, 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 and what that robs us of, in my view, is yeah. the local innovation, because um, mm. there's a lot of ideas, uh, particularly in Nigeria. Nigerians are very um, uh, 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 um, innovative in many ways. I mean, I've, I was in Silicon Valley, two years ago, and, uh, and I realized that a lot of the incubators there are taking fintechs from Nigeria, and they, 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 they get into those um, YC combinator type of um, um, uh, schemes and all of that, because there's friction points, and if you've got 200 million people or whatever the population is these days of Nigeria, there's friction points everywhere, and I think when you don't localize, you miss out on that opportunity. And, and, and for me, I think that's the big issue. The second part, though, yeah. and it's not just a, a South Africa uh, business issue, is, is, is working with governments or mm. working with regulators and working with authorities. We're very shy to do that. Mm. Uh, uh, rightly so in many ways because of what we see in on-state capture, right? And... Uh, and, um, and, and also the perception that governments are useless, they just want to uh, support money and all of that. But the reality is a lot of um, organizations that you need to work with, a lot of companies that you even need to partner with are government-owned. 
but also the regulations are so stringent that you need to influence policy. You mm. need to um, understand what the government's mission is. You need to understand uh, how, to, how, to, how to leverage the taxation system with things like local raw material. What are the local priorities? Because that helps you to actually be successful. Because everywhere you go, there's rules of the game. Yeah. And you need to know how to play within those rules. And therefore, I think getting closer to the government's agenda and the regulation agenda, because more and more, especially in developing markets, it's yeah. about public-private partnerships. And even where the organization you're dealing with is not owned by the government, a lot of times it's the government that will somehow enable funding. And in the rest of the continent, there's still a lot of developmental funding and a lot of uh, donor funding as well. So you cannot ignore the government. So sometimes we have the attitude um, in South Africa that, you know, government sucks, they are thugs, they do this, they do, I don't want to talk to them, they are incompetent. Pay late or the process no, is too long. Exactly. And, and, you, and you're trying to find all the ways to cut corners and do BE for compliance, do this, do that. And then you go to, you go to uh, Cameroon, it's exactly government-led. You go to Ghana, it's government-led, and you don't want to deal with government. How are you going to be successful? Licensing for shopping center building, licensing for agriculture, licensing for all of that. So I think the two things for me is localization and regulatory framework, being able to do partnerships with uh, government. And how do you think, because it seems like it's a mindset, an attitude, and an open mindset to embrace this because of our own experiences, our own perceptions. Yeah. How did, how did you find yourself getting over that? Is it because you looked at the States or the French and what they're doing or and you're part of a multinational that could do things differently? Or was that a personal journey of changing your own sort of mindset? How, how did... So um, there's a lovely book. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you have read, I hear you, you love reading by uh, Caroline <laughs> Drake called Mindset. I have you know? a great book. It's a fantastic book. And growth, you, growth and fixed. Growth and exactly. fixed. Let's go, yeah. baby. It, it, it talks about our mindsets, and it's about understanding yourself, yeah. but also understanding the context of where you're going. Yeah. Because, because, because the, the culture and the practices and the background of who you're going to be engaging with, and then meeting, meeting halfway. I mean, we talk about that in a negotiation. We talk about that in, in transactions, even when you do M&A and so on. So it is about solution-oriented mindset and finding ways, you know, because, it, you know, whether you have a profit goal, which is what we have in business and, and ROI and all of that, there's many ways of getting there, which are still, you know, permissible. So you need to understand that we have to adjust, not, the, you know, not the what, but the how sometimes to still get into that. So, and it starts with the mindset. And, and I think... One of my biggest learning, having worked in multi, multiple cultures and many uh, uh, countries, is that you need to be very, very careful about the people that you select to send to another market. A highly successful executive in South Africa who's delivered phenomenal results is not necessarily going to do so in Nigeria. Why you know, uh, you know, um, no, in Kenya or whatever, you know. So you're looking for more than um, uh, capabilities in terms of delivering results. That mindset, that adaptability, that culture, that humility, 
and, and so on and so forth. I think it's also about sending the right people who have that right mindset of, uh, of collaboration, transparency, but also wanting to be humble. You know, uh, because, you, you, you know, especially in the continent, uh, we have a reputation as South Africans of uh, um, uh, uh, being arrogant and thinking that, you know, we're the best thing since sliced bread. You know, we're bigger than, uh, you know, we, we, we come from the biggest economy or we used to be before Nigeria uh, fixed their GDP numbers. Um, and, and of course, most sophisticated and everything is being run from there. So there's also a little bit of a tension, uh, particularly with Kenya and Nigeria. So, you, you, so we need to go there and also be humble uh, because as much as we're going to share uh, some of the best practices and lessons, there's a lot that we can learn from those markets as well. And, and for me, that, that's how I succeeded in Uganda because I had that open door and open attitude to actually say, much as I'm here to, 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 to turn around the business, to deliver some exciting results, I'm also here to grow. And, and, and therefore, I'm humbled by the fact that my time in Uganda will make me a better leader. And so therefore, I'm that, you know, and, and, and I think once you, you have that collaborative approach, people embrace you, you know, show interest, um, you know, and, and one of the ways that I lead, which uh, is quite important, is, um, and, and, and in lean terms, they call it going to gamble. Yeah. I walk the floor. I walk the floor. I, I insist on that. Uh, uh, the, 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 there's a research agency in South Africa called CIA. I don't know if it still exists. And uh, they had this quote that I love. said, an office is too dangerous a place um, from which to view the world. Mm. So, you know? so, 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 so when I ran uh, retail businesses on Fridays, you'll find me uh, doing trade visits. So I'll be in Spaza shops, I'll be in Pig and Pay, I'll be in Clicks. And, uh, and of course, when I was in the liquor industry, Fridays was my day to visit bars, shibins, taverns, whatever. But not only external, but also visit uh, 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 the warehouses, talk to the t- truck drivers who are delivering beer, visit uh, the brewery and, um, and see bottles being broken and understand why is the line, why did the line stop? But more importantly, not just visit it a company that throw o'clock in the morning with the executive. No, the brewery was working 24-7. So I'd visit the brewery on Sunday morning, 3 a.m. And look, I mean, these things, I think you're phenomenal success. I was going to ask how and why, and you're telling me something that's really important. But I mean, these values of engaging with people, you know, you know I, I call it listening. Right, it's listening to people and listening to the market. You're getting your best ideas, right? It's the same thing as shared values. Like if you solve someone else's problem, then you can solve. And it almost goes to the and instead of the what I'm going to get. The and you get and I get. We both win, right? So the power of the and from good to great. I mean, was this influenced? I get the, the sense that this is really influenced a lot by your upbringing. This getting in and talking to people. Yeah. And, and enjoying people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, uh, I guess I had the fortune of growing up in a business family. So my family started a retail business when I was two years old. And uh, the business is still running today. You had no choice. Uh, but I grew up uh, selling. 
Um, uh, the general dealer, we had a hardware, we had a petrol uh, store. So think of all those so-called menial jobs uh, that people will perceive today I've been doing. So I've delivered cement to people's homes uh, and millimill 80 kg. And I, I, I could carry 50 kg, <laughs> uh, a bag of millimill uh, to load onto a bike. That's why you look so young. I think, That's why you I think look when so I young. Was, when, when, yeah, when, when I was 10 years old, and I've been a petrol attendant and, and, and so on. So, 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 but the thing is, the values that um, uh, my dad in particular, in, it, you know, distilled in us from that age was that without that old lady who walked into our shop every day to buy uh, mm. bread and margarine and milk, um, we had no business. Mm. And that, that person, is the most important person because if they decide to take their money elsewhere, we finished. Yeah. So, so there was no one who was too dirty, too poor, too whatever, not to take care of because yeah. cumulatively it's all those customers who walked in the shop every day and imparted or parted with their hard earned cash yeah. for us that we had to make sure that they are treated with respect and dignity. So for me, that people orientation and customer centricity and today we talk journey designs and everything has just been in me all the time because you know without customers the business has no revenue without revenue there's no business and yeah. and that's it so it starts there and i want to touch and feel um what is happening in the operations of the business the operations of a business is a dna and 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 yeah so i relate uh, to, to people across all levels because, you know, in, in, in the retail business, you get wealthy people coming in, you get very poor people coming in, but at the end of the day, they're all coming to give you money and therefore you need to treat them with respect. Respect's a good thing. A lot of values uh, miss that one. But it was so funny you talked about sales because so often I see successful people who have got some sales or entrepreneurial background. And I saw that you had that with Procter & Gamble. And I was going to ask you about it yeah. anyway, because it's your first official job on LinkedIn. But yeah. um, your first job started at 10, but you can't say that because, you know, the government might have a... Have a <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. But how, how important is sales? I mean, because in, in, I, I get a lot of people academically inclined. They want great careers. They want to go in the corporate environment. But sometimes they're missing that sales and marketing engine that is so required to really grow a business? So I have a lot of accountant friends and um, CAs and CFOs and all of that. And I say to people, the first uh, line on a PNL is income or revenue. And, um, and, and after that line, everything else is a deduction. Yeah. And, um, and that first revenue or income only happens once you've sold something and gotten paid for it. Yeah. Right? So uh, whether you're in car manufacturing, you're GE, you are Vodacom, you know, your airtime gets sold. Someone uses that airtime and it goes into revenue. You sell a car, it goes to revenue. You know, you sell a house, it goes to revenue. And then you have cost of sale. You have employees, you have rental, you have da 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 da, da. Everything else is a deduction. Yeah. So what is the most important thing in business? 
is to generate a sale. Yeah. You have to sell. Of course, it's important that you have something to sell. So you need to have the product, you have to have this and that, but you can make products. If you don't sell it, there's no point. So at the end of the day for me, and, uh, and, uh, and one of my favorite CEOs, um, uh, C, uh, Ivan Menezes, who is the CEO of uh, Diageo, yeah. uh, used to have this as part of the strategy. Everybody sells or helps sell. Yeah. You know, We're so if you're not in the front line, your yeah. job must be to do something that helps the front line deliver a sale. And we're all working in a value chain that ultimately, until, because I used to work in the liquor industry, until someone in that bar walks to the barman and woman and asks for a bottle of Smirnoff, Johnny Walker, Guinness, whatever, our job is not done. You it's know? Good, eh? so, so whatever you have to do and think about, is am I helping, just like Lincoln, I'm helping put, uh, put someone in the moon. Am I helping ultimately to create an experience that someone will buy our brand? So, okay. so, so if you're in engineering and packaging, is it good quality? And then are you transporting it rightly? And, blah, blah, blah. and, and for me, I really believe in that. But, but inversely, uh, you know, outside of that, I think um, uh, studying in sales helped me understand the, the importance of what you create in the so-called head office and how do you make the life of a salesperson complex or not. So through that, because you understand where rubber hits the road. So that was the, that, that was the other thing. And then lastly, it was the discipline already of um, um, having a PNL because the area that I was responsible for was my company. And, and I was responsible when I started for Eastrend, for PNG, and I had a PNL for Eastrend. And I knew that unless I bring enough revenue and everything and I make profit for that area, then the company won't make profit. So it teaches you that responsibility and understand where your role fits in. Uh, what part are you playing in the ecosystem of helping this big company called PNG? Mm. So I mean, sales is really important, but also, and you've lived that. Right, so you're not saying you lived it, but then the other thing I saw, which is really interesting, is that sometimes in this, when you're in sales, you also learn about adaptability. Yeah. You learn that the customer's needs change and you need to change environments. And it's almost like you had these really great roles in superb organizations and you kept on changing and moving and adapting. And then you even went on sabbatical and sort of gave it all up. Um, What's with that, that risk-taking, changing careers, changing locations? Um, how, how valuable is that? Yeah, look, I think I'm, I, I, I've been described as restless. And, and I think it's because I, I have this um, high appetite for learning. So one of the things that you probably would not would have seen is that I've also studied and learned different things. And, and for me, when I move countries or I move jobs, because even within the same company, by the way, take Diageo. Uh, I spent 15 years in Diageo. In the 15 years, I did seven jobs in three different countries. So, so for me, during that, it has been a reinvention and learning because when you go to a different culture, then you expose to different things. You go to a different job, you go on a learning curve as well. So 
I love that because I think when you stop learning, you stop growing. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's, that's number one. Secondly, I deliberately worked in different functions. So yeah, you're right. I worked in sales. I worked in marketing. I did a stint in finance and strategy and general mm-hmm. management because I want to know how things are connected. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know, a business cannot be described as one function and in isolation. And for me to influence my colleagues from different functions, I need to know where they come from. And having worked with them or done their jobs just helped me know how to influence them. Because we work in teams and you need to know what drives people, what motivates people, and so on and so forth. But thirdly, um, I think discovery and innovation comes when you connect things that are seemingly unconnected. Yeah. And therefore, by having broad and diverse experiences, I'm able to make connections that do not seem obvious at face value. And a lot of breakthrough innovation came from things that people didn't think about because they didn't see the connection. But because you've experienced all of that, and then you come up with something new. And people say, oh, I didn't think about that. You know, and so, so I love innovation because I think a lot of the things that are making money today for businesses are things that really did not exist a decade ago. Of course, there's a lot of legacy stuff that yeah. continue. But even if you look at uh, Fortune 500 and you look at your top 10 companies, a lot of them were not there 20 years ago. And you're like, really? <laughs> you know? And, 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 and why? Because it's all about innovation and new ideas and connection. And some of them is not even brand new ideas. It's recycling of how things are consumed. All things are consumed. I was talking to you earlier about Netflix. It's a yeah. good example. We've all been consuming movies and, yeah. um, and, um, and series for the longest time. Yeah. That, is, that is nothing new. But how it's presented and democratized and everything has brought in a brand new company with a high valuation. And that's the point. It's not just about the what, it's also the how. I get the feeling that your wife watches movies with you, murder, mystery, suspense, and you've probably worked out the killer in the first five <laughs> minutes. I, I kind of get that impression. And she's wondering how you did it. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. My kids have invited me to a movie tomorrow. Um, so that would be quite interesting. I, 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 I'm not famous for my patience. So <laughs> sitting for 90 minutes uh, watching a small or a big screen, um, will be very interesting. See, so you obviously also helped Vodacom with their digital transformation, and it's a big topic, right? And then you sort of did yeah. that. You went to Silicon Valley. You got exposed to startups, entrepreneurs. I mean, you're an entrepreneur yourself. You know, you, you invested in um, retail outlets. Come from an entrepreneurial family. I mean, what what is the the sort of lessons that you're learning from this digital disruption for? organization because you disrupted yourself you went on sabbatical you sort of took a break you reinvented yourself to a large degree what are the lessons that you you sort of learned from that i think the the main one and i really brought it into avodacom as well is that you need we need to take risks corporates in particular need to take a lot more risk with young people oh yeah you know it's it's you know a lot of corporate have got such talent sitting there in these graduate schemes. They bring in fantastic young people yeah. and they just don't tap into them because it's like, no, you don't have the experience. You're still growing, you're still learning. Blah, blah, blah. But if you look at a JSE uh, top 40, for
for example, and you look at the average age of the exec, it's late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. Um, a lot of them is 50 plus. 50, yeah. And, um, and South Africa, more than half the population is under 30, right? I think 60% under yeah. 30. And, and, and if you look at the people who are shaking the world, in terms of all these ideas and all of that, they come from young people because the, the, the point is that sometimes in this innovation in digital, as old people, and, and I'm included, we know too much. And, 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 and knowing too much can be a liability. For sure. <laughs> you know, because fingers, we've done this, we've done this. So sometimes we should just embrace these young stars and allow them to shake us up a little bit and listen to them. You know, yeah. so for me, that is that is that is the one learning because they've got such fresh ideas. They are the users of this technology, and 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 these apps and new ways of doing things that we actually need to engage with them and listen to them. I um, agree. And that, I agree that, with you hundred percent. It's it's crazy. You, I mean, yeah, you talk about also the other part, which is we've grown up in a certain way that we didn't have Netflix when we were growing up. Yeah. We didn't have all these devices, and so, and we didn't have the way that we're working, and so a lot of the things that you talked about as well was unlearning. Yeah, so we're, we're at a disadvantage. Yeah. No, we are, we are, and uh, and I think the second part is is um is is, is our attitude to partnerships and and Ooh. you know and competition. <laughs> I mean, you know, because you know we want to do everything ourselves, and that's how we've been schooled, you know. Uh, withhold information, don't share, do everything, da 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 da. But 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 you know, um, the digital world is an ecosystem world, and 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 you even the platforms themselves. We can't all be building these platforms. You know, the digital world is about the sharing economy, and and therefore find ways to then uh, cooperate. Of course, within um, the law, um, competition commission. I don't want to get into trouble with Minister Patel and all of that. But, but, <laughs> It, it, it requires that. And then, and then the last thing is, I think it's about time that we, we redefine jobs in corporates. Because I don't know why things are still functionally defined. Yeah. You know, you've got marketing, you've got finance, you've got operations, you've got all of these things. Because, because you know, it, it forces this silo mentality and thinking. Yeah. And yet... Uh, people who, who have become very successful in the digital space, think Uber. They talk about journey, the journey design and the customer experience um, and, 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 and removing friction, one touch. It's something that has to be one touch. It cannot be passing finance, logistics, warehousing, uh, you know, HR, da, 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 da. because by the time it's been designed through all of that, it's no longer one touch, <laughs> you know, because everyone wants to add their layer of complexity and da, da, da. You've you got to think about what a customer wants. And I think, I think we're not, you know, designed, you know, your legacy businesses are not designed right for that. And I think that is why many of them, when they, when they try and do this, they then move to this agile way of working and form their multifunctional squads and everything else. Um, yeah. and, and some of that works, but because there's a tension between legacy and digital, it just doesn't work. And then last but not least, and, and I was actually, uh, I was talking about learning. I'm busy uh, as we speak with a, a course in INSEAD. Ah. Uh, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing my AMP, Advanced Management Program. And, uh, and, 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 and one of the things that, that they were saying is that the competence, digital competence, 
same as sustainability competence among CEOs is very, very poor. We just don't know enough. And, and, and we need to go back to school. We need to really, not necessarily formal learning, but we must not just hire people who will come and do digital and advise us on digital and do this. We must also become digitally inclined and, 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 and allow ourselves to learn that as much as we learn about the books of the company. And then that way we'll be more open to drive that change. But we, so, so, so we need to, to build new capabilities as well, because it doesn't mean that because you're a CEO, you know everything gotta go back to school and then because the more you know the more you're exposed the more you then open to this otherwise it is us ceos who are blockers um, um uh, for this progress well i think i think that the thinking in digital right is if the ceo is not aligned yeah then it's not going to happen and and there's so many technologies that we've been you know implemented at topco where maybe i implement i said let's do it but i wasn't leading and they failed yeah. And I think when COVID hit, we had to change our whole business. And so it forced me to understand all these digital marketing things. I did it on myself, courses at night while I was working yeah. in the day. And wow, now there's not too much you can tell me about digital that I don't really know myself. And so I think you're, you're right there. Just going to this no, part. No, you're right. Just going to this partnership, though, because I think that you're talking about such big concepts and you're saying it so quickly, but it's absolutely massive and, and I think that I spoke to the the CEO of Lululand and I asked him as a digital company sort of what's helped you you know you're a digital company you know all this digital stuff this digital marketing whatever how much impact has that made to you and he said well digital marketing and all the advertising and Facebook and all that sort of stuff got given him like linear growth linear he said actually the thing that's given us exponential growth is partnerships and one of them was Vodacom Vodalind mm -hmm. And I think that's an example is about how do these companies start looking at partnership, partnering with fintechs, pa partnering with um, insurance, these big multinationals to, to grow. I think, uh, I think it was Zachariah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I fully agree. The, you know, the, 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 the ecosystem has got to be, to be that. And I think another one of um, uh, these uh, great outcomes in partnership is um uh, check out 60. Yeah. Uh, how they partnered with Zulzi. Uh, you know, Zulzi was just doing their own food deliveries and then, and then out of that, uh, check out 60 was born. But it's a very small uh, company with a big company coming together and they delivered magic. And I think um, there has to be um, ways that the big companies and the small companies come together. Because to your point, the, the smaller companies have got a lot of ideas and, um, and, 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 and in many cases, they don't have the market. And the com big companies have got uh, a customer base. Uh, they've got resources. And, 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 and you mentioned the, 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 the example with Vodacom as well. And Vodacom is now doing another big partnership, which is in the public space, about, um, uh, with Alipay, about yeah. uh, the super app that they are launching. Because they realize that, you know, it can take them a long time to build something that Alipay builds, but Alipay is not in Africa. So why not uh, uh, partner with them and bring Alipay into Africa through the infrastructure of Vodacom? And then the two, I think it will create such a win. But it, whether it's a big company, small company, uh, a partnership, I, I just think that um, if you bring your strengths together, um, it opens up a lot of opportunities. That is what we are learning um, uh, across the board in terms of digital and mindset has to change. 
Um, I mean, in my view, whether you like it or not, not all the majors and acquisitions work so well. But I think, um, for example, Instagram benefited a lot from um, the acquisition by Facebook, uh, yeah. it, you know, and vice versa. And so did WhatsApp, you know, those three. And, and of course, we, 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 we love independence and not have all of this uh, consolidation of the market. But I think uh, Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram has become such a huge powerhouse, <laughs> you know, because they partnered and they leveraged each other's strengths, you know. And, 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 and I, think, I think in there is the magic because these, these digital businesses are a platform business. Yeah. And they were all innovated, started, founded by very young people, by the way. So that's why we've got to give young people a chance. Which is but, why, exactly. You need to give young people a chance. But, I mean, there's young some other... Chance, su- I mean. Yeah. There's some other successes, though, that have led to a lot of success in digital transformation. And I didn't realize, but mindsets change through good coaching and mentorship. And I know one of your goals is to democratize coaching and training and development. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's benefited me a lot in my career. And, but I think is that it needs to be mentee-driven. You know, I think we need to put up our hand and say, Ralph, um, I've seen this in you. Can you be my mentor on X, Y, Z? You know? So that's, 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 that's number one. I don't think there's a culture of entitlement there. You need to want it, um, you know, and that's how you benefit from it. Uh, but secondly, I think many people don't realize that that relationship must work for the mentor too. You know, if you're the only one growing as a mentee and then the mentor is not getting something out of that, um, mentoring you and learning something, then, then there's no point. I actually learn a lot from the youngsters that I mentor because a lot of them would be like in engineering, uh, in digital, doing stuff in sustainability, areas I don't have much experience in. And as we talk and they're sharing their stories and I'm giving them, um, even in the coaching sense, um, I learn a lot. I was like, oh, that's actually quite interesting. It's like, you know, because there's like a two decades or generation gap between me and them. And that's how I stay relevant. Um, so, so absolutely, I would love to do that. And talking about democratization, there's a big opportunity uh, of using digital tools. And we're learning this a lot now that we can't uh, meet freely and we're doing stuff on Teams and Zooms and so on, that you can actually reach a lot more people through platforms like these, because um, I can have a coaching session that is attended by 100 people. And, um, and, 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 and it still cost me an hour, but I've actually reached 100 people versus one-on-one. And, and these are, these are, this is the beauty of what technology can do. So I'm quite excited about that because we really need um, that in this country. There's such a huge skill gap and there will still be a lot of skill transition that needs to take place. Think about renewable energy where I'm at. 91% of um, all our energy comes from steam. And uh, in 10 years time, it it needs to be renewable and move into wind, hydro, gas, and so on. And and, and there needs to be huge skill transfer. We need to train a lot of people. So we need to democratize access to learning. Um, Interestingly, my alma mater, I don't know how it's going to work, but it's exciting. Um, UCT has launched a, a digital high school. Yeah, you know, complete digital high school, and 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 I think 
given the 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 the, 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 the quality of teachers that we have in this country, um, some of them so much underqualified, and there's not enough classrooms and so on. Once uh, spectrum has been allocated and data prices come down even more, maybe digital learning becomes the thing that helps us improve our the outputs in education. For sure. I mean, that, those guys from Get Smarter, Ventura. So, yeah. I mean, that's amazing what they're doing, for sure. But, I mean, we, we all know that energy is going to power the continent. What is the, what is the future of energy in South Africa, Africa, I mean, is it renewable? Is it a, a combination? You know, I think for starters, in my mind, right, and we in this business as GE, there's still 800 million people in the world who do not have electricity, believe it or not. And a lot of those are in our continent, right? So I think first and foremost for me, uh, it's about access. Because yeah. if you don't have electricity, you can't use any of these digital tools that we're talking about. You know very well what happens when there's no electricity in this country with load shedding. Everything stops, right? Not even robots works. And your cell phone doesn't work because you haven't charged it. So for me, it's about access. And, and in there lies the magic for renewable. Because more and more studies and experience from many countries is that the net cost on a per megawatt basis of renewable is much cheaper than steam. It's much cheaper than steam and nuclear. Renewables are not just good for uh, 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 the environment and decarbonization. They are good for our pockets, you know. And I think, um, you know, solving that affordability, solving that affordability helps the cost of doing business come down but it also enables governments to electrify more people because now you can afford it. So imagine an Africa that has got 100% penetration of um, electricity and 100% penetration of data or digital or internet. Um, uh, the world now changes all of a sudden because we have access to information. And so for me, renewables, and Africa is even better suited for these renewable solutions because we've got natural resources. You talk about solar, we've got the climate, you know. Uh, you talk about the dams, we, you know, our flows and the dams that we have for hydro, we've got that. And, uh, and of course, we've got wind, you know, uh, many places for wind. So for me, and you know, the question is, how can we do it faster? Because we, we yeah. don't just need it for the environment, we need it for our sustainability and our economy. So that's the future for sure. I, I think we need to leapfrog because some markets still need to transition from steam, steam to renewables. We don't even have steam and nuclear yeah. in many places. So we need to just go in there. And we've got gas. You know, we've got gas in Nigeria. We've got gas in Mozambique. We've got all of these natural resources. So, 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 so for me, it's urgent and it's exciting because it's cleaner, it's affordable and it's the future. So it's almost like the other nations need to unlearn or get rid of their old capacity and, and we can thrive ahead. How long do you see this happening? Is this a five-year plan that you see this, we, we, we leveraging this? Is it, is it sooner? Is it 10 years? Yeah, yeah you know, so, so um, many countries are working on uh, 2050 to be carbon um, neutral. <laughs> And, um, you know, and, and in South Africa, we've got the Integrated Resource Plan, the IRP, 
that is a 2030 IRP uh, that uh, doesn't take us to carbon neutral, but it significantly reduces um, um, uh, steam power and, and it adds at that time about 40% of our power being renewable. And, um, and, and, and there's progress being made in that regard because uh, the first round has been awarded. I know there's some court challenges now, but there's been awarded significant amount of renewable. Uh, the president has already announced uh, that the independent power producers can now produce up to 100 megawatts, uh, up from uh, only one. Um, you know, and, and that's a huge um, uh, uh, um, 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 announcement and a huge, huge progress in that. And, um, and then the, bid, the second bid window uh, for the IRP has also been released. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of funding around. So I can't see what will slow, slow us down. There's funding. Uh, they call it green money. There's a lot of funding <laughs> around. Last week I attended uh, the Climate Change Commission a presentation on this. And, um, and uh, there, were, there were a couple of ministers in there, including the Treasury, and they were all talking the same language. So, um, and the good news is that even um, ESCOM, which is the, the incumbent uh, with um, uh, those uh, steam-generated power stations, Andre De Reuters is, is the champion of um, um, uh, energy transition. He presented last week uh, his own record saying that uh, there's 10,000 megawatts which is about 20 percent of our installed base that is coming off uh, in the next uh, eight years, and that needs to be repurposed to renewables as well from an ESCOM point of view. Of course, the big issue that needs to be talked about and solved is the social impact, and we understand that um, uh, because uh, we we have a lot of coal mines uh, in the country, and um, and lots of people. Um, in Bumalanga and other places who, who are making their livelihood out of that. So how do you repurpose them? How do you retrain them? Especially because in some of the regions, there's a bit of a disconnect. So for example, Bumalanga is strong with coal, but the Eastern Cape and Western Cape is strong with wind. So yeah. while the jobs will be replaced, there's this dislocation, you know, because you can't put up uh, wind turbines in Bumalanga when the wind is not blowing there. <laughs> For sure. I think it's quite exciting. If we can get this right, it's going to be hell of an exciting. But I mean, I was, also, I was also excited when we first spoke about, um, you mentioned you're, you're writing a book. Um, um, my father said if he ever wrote a book, he wouldn't release it while he was alive because it embarrassed too many people. <laughs> That's an idea. <laughs> we want to read your book because you've got so many great um, engagements to tell us. I mean, is it is there is there any any storyline that um, it's going to follow? Is it like a business or personal or? Look, it's a it's a combination. So I'm I'm uh, I'm telling my career story with the aim of capturing the lessons to where I am um, in a way that anyone can apply them to their own situation. Because many people ask me, how did you do this? How did you get there? How did you build your career? How did you get, uh, go to work internationally? How did you get promoted? And, and I think in, you know, in, in thinking about that retrospectively, I, I think it's not exclusive to me. A lot of it is common sense. It's not very difficult. And I want to share uh, that with people and democratize uh, mentorship and coaching. So it's a, it's a coaching and mentorship book on career growth 
uh, but using my story to make it more pragmatic uh, for people. So I hope it's useful um, uh, for a lot because I think there's a lot more potential and talent that we can tap into in this country. Um, you know, there's a lot of potential and there's lots of people who never really uh, reach their best because they haven't had access to guidance. So I'm hoping to use a format of a book to impart that knowledge and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm rereading re the, the Millionaire Mind at the moment and he talks around how some people don't feel they're worthy and he talks about getting your best suit or getting yeah. your best dress. Let me anoint you. You are worthy. <laughs> so indeed, it was really great to speak to you. We're so um, um, honored to have you on board with the podcast. When's the book coming out, by the way? Um, we're still discussing that, you know, the best timing with the publisher. Uh, but um, I can tell you it's about 95% complete. So I'll let you, you'll be the first to know once we've decided. You must send it to me. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. Thank you so much, Raf. Thanks for the encouragement. Pleasure. It was so great to have you on board. It was, it was great to speak to you. It was really enlightening and, and I suppose inspiring for everybody in what you're doing. And we wish you the best of luck with GE and uh, your Southern Africa accomplishments. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the chat and uh, yeah, all the best. I look forward to seeing the product. <laughs> <laughs> Same.